As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Jeremiah Lanfear was an American lay missionary handing out Bibles and tracts on the streets of New York City. He noticed that the businessmen were, in his words, hurrying along their way, often with careworn faces and anxious and restless gazes. So he prayed a simple prayer. Lord, what will you have me to do? That gave birth to now what's called the Layman's Prayer Revival of 1857 through 1859. It started when he began a weekly prayer meeting during the lunch hour. He picked that time because back then businesses would close down. So he put a sign out front of the church that read, Wednesday prayer meetings from 12 to 1 o'clock, stop by for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or the whole time as your time admits. Not a very strategic marketing plan for today's standards at all, but it worked. Because when God is in it, things can go viral. And that's exactly what happened. The first prayer meeting, it was held on September 23rd, 1857. He started praying by himself, then one person joined him, and by the end of that hour, six people were with him. The following Wednesday, there were 20 people. Then the next week, there were 40 people. Those who showed up, they decided that they should meet daily instead of weekly. And on October 14th, over 100 people came. Many of those people, they had never walked into a church before, they didn't know Christ. But by the end of the second month, they were filling three large rooms in the church. And then by surprise, these prayer meetings, they started popping up all over the city. Within six months, catch this, over 50,000 people were meeting daily in New York while thousands joined in other cities all around. All to simply do this, to pray. The revival, it started with one man who had a burden for his city. And it's now referred to by church historians as the event of the century. So let me ask this question. Is it possible for today to see God move like that, to experience a great revival in our cities, in our country, in our world? Answer, yes. Why? Well, to answer that question, grab your Bibles. Let's open them up to Psalm 85. Title of the message is simply this. Why not now? Why not us? as we continue our series through the book of Psalms. And this Psalm, it's gonna give us four reasons why it is possible because it was possible for them back then, it's possible for us right now. And note to self, anytime you're talking revival, cause that's what this message is about, whether it's past, present or future, it's all up to God. If revival was a car, God would be the engine, Jesus is the fuel and the Holy Spirit is the driver while we are like the kids in the back seat along for the ride as we celebrate Global Sunday today at High Point across all our locations. I'm so excited. I'm gonna be sharing several stories of how God is at work throughout the world as a result of your partnership, as we are all shareholders in this together. But I know you may not think of yourself as a shareholder, but believe me, you are. All that is happening is because of you and your faithfulness. So. Let me start by reading Psalm 85. Then we're going to do this. We're going to dig the reasons why revival is possible in our day out from this psalm. It says in verse 1, O Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your anger. You turned away from your hot anger. 
Restore us again, O God, for our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but not let them turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give us what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Let's begin with the first reason why revival is possible today. Revival is possible because God is gracious. Notice within the first two verses of this psalm, we see four examples of God's grace as he restored the nation of Israel. Now, some scholars would say that this refers specifically to when the exiles returned from the Babylonian captivity. It's hard for us to know for sure, but either way, it's, it's surely an evidence of God's grace. First, in the beginning of verse 1, it says that God was favorable to the land. It's referring to his provision. For them, it was about a place to dwell, a place to go, a roof over their heads. For us, it's kind of the same thing as God's grace provides us with what we need, not necessarily what we want. From the air we breathe to the shirts on our backs, we are thankful for God's provision. Second, in the middle of verse one, it says, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. And that's referring to God's blessing as Jacob was the great patriarch who wrestled with God. He demanded a blessing, but God humbled him and then God was able to lead him. And it's the same for us today. As God humbles us, God will lead us. Thirdly, at the beginning of verse two, it says that God forgave the iniquity of the people. He covered their sins. And this is obviously referring to God's forgiveness. See, the Old Testament is a record of God's people turning away from him. Unfortunately, over and over again, we see it. But time after time, they turn away from him, but he doesn't turn away from them. And just as he's always willing and ready for to forgive them, he's always willing and ready to forgive us. That is the heart of what revival is all about, the forgiveness of God as we return to him. That's why it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us from our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, in verse three, it says that God withdrew his anger, his wrath. You turn from your hot anger. And this is speaking of God's character as God is holy. And this is the only attribute of God that is declared threefold in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Theologians tell us that this is God's most significant attribute. Some mistakenly think that it's God's love. I mean, I, I kind of have thought that too, but it's not because God's holiness, God being holy is what best defines him as all the other attributes like his love, they flow from his holiness. But the people, they, they were not holy, just as we are not holy. So when the text says he withdrew his wrath, it means that God gave them extra time to turn away from their unholiness to become holy like him through repentance and faith, just like he does for us. Again, this is the very heart of what revival is all about. Let me share our first story today. It's a story of God's grace and revival. 
I want to introduce you to Bill and Kathleen Batchelor. They are missionaries in Brazil. They founded and led the Oasis Counseling Centers, which has provided Christian counseling to local pastors and ministers, missionaries for the past few decades. Kathy was unexpectedly diagnosed with a mental condition that required them both to return to the States for 10 months so that she could receive a special treatment. It wasn't covered by their insurance. So they had to hit pause on their counseling ministry. And honestly, they wondered to themselves if they would ever return because they couldn't afford the medical bills. Well, let me tell you this. Not only did your generosity as a church go to help pay for a portion of Kathy's medical bills, but eventually, by the grace of God, they were able to return to Brazil and re-engage in their work. Not only are they seeing God's grace in their own ministry, but they are experiencing God's grace in the midst of their medical crisis. Second reason why revival, it is possible. Revival is possible because God is merciful. Now, maybe you've heard it said, the difference between grace and mercy is often summed up in this way. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, while mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's true. And we see that in verses four and five, as it says that God withholds his anger and indignation. We've already talked about it, but know this, that's mercy as he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And that's the bullseye of this psalm. It's a prayer of lament for the nation as God grants mercy. That's why they ask in verse six, this rhetorical question, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Answer, yes. But let me take a moment and explain some end times teaching. And as I do, remember that God is just, as in God's gonna settle the score. That's what we see in the final chapters of the book of Revelation. I mean, you can read it yourself. You can see it. Nobody is going to get away with anything in this life. They may think they are, but they're not. The Bible teaches for the non-Christian, they will be judged for their sin at what's called the great white throne of judgment. We see that in Revelation chapter 20, unless they give over their sin to Christ to deal with it because God sent his son to deal with our sin. But for the Christian, the Bible teaches that we will be judged too at what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, let me be clear. Christians won't be judged for their sins as they're all forgiven, but they will be judged for how they live their life. And it's not about future punishment, but rather future reward. Or shall I say the forfeiture of future reward for many who just blow this off. As the way we live our lives for God in this life, it means something, it matters. Now listen carefully. Some people say they want Jesus to come back soon because of all the sin and all the injustice that they see in the world. They just can't deal with it. They're just like, man, let, come on, Jesus, come back. And if you think that, if you say that, believe me, I get it. I, I really do. But that's not me. I, I don't. Because I got way too many people I care about who are on the wrong side of eternity. They're on what Jesus calls the broad road that leads to destruction instead of the narrow road that leads to life. And that means that I, I've got work to do, man, as my prayer is that God would use me, that he would give me more time to get his message out to the people that I care about, the people that I love, so that I could see more souls saved. I mean, that's my life's calling. I agree with C.T. Studd when he says, some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's the rally cry at High Point Church. That's why we do what we do. Now, 
I've talked to some missionaries who believe that when the Bible is translated into all known languages, then that's what they call a trigger. And by that, I mean it's a trigger for Jesus to come back, for the end times to begin. They believe this because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, which Matthew 24 is the best chronological account of, of the end times in the New Testament. It just lays it out. But specifically, when they read Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Thus, they believe that when the Bible is translated in all the languages, all known languages, then this scripture will be fulfilled and the end is near. So where are we? Well, recent statistics from Wycliffe Bible translators, they tell us that one in five people are still waiting for the Bible to be translated in their own language, as there are 7,353 languages that are spoken in the world. And 698 of them have a full Bible translation. And there's active translation work going on in over 2,600, for 2,600 languages in over 160 countries. So whether the, you believe that this is the trigger or not is not my focus today. But know this, translators are working to move the needle so that everyone can have a Bible, this book, in their hands, in their own native tongue, which is truly amazing. Let me share a story of a couple who are actively working to help get Bibles into their own heart languages through High Point Global of the people they're working with. Bill and Christina Witta are in Vanuatu, and that's a small island in the South Pacific. We recently got together with them as they came to one of our staff meetings and shared. They said that they're working on eight new Bible translation projects for this year, 2021, so that the Bible can be shared in the heart language of those unreached people groups that they minister to. Now catch this, on this small island, there are a hundred different dialects and languages spoken. I mean, that's crazy. So they're helping people experience the mercy of God in their own native tongue, their heart language, which is truly amazing. Recently, the Hano, the language which is spoken in a remote region of the island, received their first printing of the complete New Testament. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's just amazing. And this project, catch this, it started over 44 years ago before they were even an independent country, but it's now finally completed. And the Mary language of Sanma province, that's another part of the island, they've now translated about 80% of the New Testament. Just know this. Because all of these printed audio and video materials are coming from this great translation work and God's using them to stir revival in the hearts of those remote and unreached people groups. Third reason why revival is possible. Revival is possible because God is loving. Notice in verse seven when it says, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. These two English words, steadfast love, they come from one Hebrew word. That's what they're translated from, which is hesed. That word is used over 250 times in the Old Testament. And we've really got no word in our English language that equals it or matches it in what it specifically means. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness, but it defines the covenantal love that God has for his people. It's his unwavering love, his unfailing love, his relentless love. Verse eight, it, it continues to carry the theme of this covenantal love as it says that God will speak peace to his people. 
That's what we all long for, the peace with God that comes with salvation as we acknowledge our deep need for him and turn to him in repentance and faith. And that's what sparks personal revival. And then the peace of God, that comforts us when things are out of control and we can't figure anything out, which can trigger corporate revival. So let's talk for a moment about the love of God and the intersection of revival. I mean, they both go together and you can't really separate them. The Hebrew word for revival, it literally means to bring back to life or to restore to consciousness. We see the word used in verse six, if you're following along in your text. I like to think of it like this. Revival is the restoration, rejuvenation, and renewal of God's presence and power in God's people. And revivalism, it's this. Revivalism is an increased spiritual awakening in the life of a church or a congregation with a local, national, or even global influence or impact. Now, let me give you a few of the classic revival or revivalism verses in the Bible. I mean, these are the famous ones, the ones that people know, that people pray, that people ask for prayer about. Second Chronicles chapter 7, specifically in verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Habakkuk 3.2, it says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. Let's go to the New Testament, Acts chapter three. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And then Psalm 85 verse six, as we've already seen it. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? What's the common denominator in all these revival and revivalism verses? It's the love of God. That's where revival stems and it revives the heart and it rejuvenates the soul. And that love that we're speaking about, it was displayed on the cross. So the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. Now, some would say that revival is only in the heart of the individual believer who is straight away. And they would say that it's only a call to bring back the wayward believer in the church. While others, they would say, no, we got to expand that a little more that it includes the new believer who first comes to Christ. Well, we're seeing both happen here at High Point and specifically through our High Point Send Network. That's our new church planning arm. Let me share a story of someone who's making an impact in Europe, which is a post-Christian culture in desperate need of revival. My friend, Pastor Doru, he planted a church in Romania. I mean, I've been out there a couple times to see him. He recently began a brand new position at our new High Point Send training center in Arad, Romania. You heard me. We've got a training center there. What he's doing is he's focusing on training, equipping, and supporting 17 church plants around Western and Eastern Europe. And these are all gospel-centered churches that are beginning to see lives transformed and communities reached for Christ. It's a really an awesome thing. And this is only possible because of your generosity through the one initiative this past December. As a result of your generosity, we've made a significant investment in this new European hub for church planting. 
as five pastors are currently in the training center and they're preparing to plant new gospel-centered churches all over the areas. Now, it's very different from what you see here in the States when they plant, as most of these pastors, they do it by vocationally, just to make ends meet so that they can keep food on their tables. But they can't shake their passion and calling to pastor local churches in the communities. Why? For the purpose of revival. That's what they want to see. That's what they're engaging in. The fourth reason why revival is possible. Revival is possible because God is faithful. We're reminded of God's faithfulness every time we look up in the sky and see a rainbow. As that was God's promise that he would never flood the earth again. And in the beginning of verse 10, we see what happens when faithfulness and love meet. As this is what sets the stage for what God can do and what God wants to do. And then in the middle of verse 10, we see what happens next. It says that righteousness and peace kiss. Now, that's an interesting picture of what takes place when revival happens. I mean, being a romantic at heart, I must admit that when I read about this kiss that can bring revival, I'm reminded of the first time I kissed my wife, Jody. We were both in high school. It was New Year's Eve. I stopped by to see her at Laura Medcalf's house in Kirtland, Ohio. She wasn't expecting me. Jody was in the kitchen, and I'll never forget, she was standing next to the green refrigerator, those old, cool, old school kind. The clock strikes midnight, and that New Year's Eve kiss, that brought revival to my heart for sure as the fireworks went off. Or should I say it brought revival to her heart, as I'm sure fireworks went off for her too. Well, either way, it brought us together for a lifetime. And I know it's a big stretch. I mean, a huge stretch. But that's the same thing that happens with us. When revival takes over, the fuse is lit. It sparks an explosion with you and God that can last a lifetime. So much so that it changes the nature and the trajectory of your life. Is You no longer live for yourself, but you're living for God, his purposes, his will, his desires. That's what's described in verse 11. As it says, faithfulness springs forth from the ground. And it's almost like this, it's looking up. And that's a picture of our response to God. You and then go in the middle of verse 11, it says that and, righteousness you know, to really trust the Lord, down from the sky. To that's really a picture of use God's you to us. impact people with the gospel. It's a snapshot of the so we went to the western of part of Tanzania, and it was the year that the Rwanda genocide happened. That experience there is something I cannot absolve myself of. I was out with He's my national counterpart, and we were out preaching, and we were coming back, we decided to rest by the he river. And we saw bodies he says that a revival is nothing It was a traumatic event for us. As we sat there God and realized, this is a Christian, supposedly Christian country, as and here this is happening. In Kilimasoka, where we live, there are about seven churches. In the last three years, we've been trying to challenge them that they need to look outside of their own denomination, outside of their own tribes, to the people around them. It's been exciting to see these churches realize that they have a calling. That is really what we want to see is the Tanzanian church taking up the call to go out and reach unreached areas. In the central part of Tanzania among the Rangi people, an unreached people group where there has been very little outreach, 
the person who is leading he that ministry right now, when he turned over, he's a ranking himself, um, he was and a Muslim, he's actually uh, came to Christ, went to seminary, and he's back, and now he's leading the ministry there, and the church is, is, is flourishing. What a joy to see that, in a sense, handoff happen. One of the exciting partners that we're working with is a young couple. A couple years ago, we started doing some outreach to a village called Ruhatwe, and since they have been in Ruhatwe, they have been on fire for the Lord. This church is growing in leaps and bounds from no known believers to 10 being baptized. There's a waiting list of more people who want to be baptized. And so our burden, our passion, is to see the gospel go forth and reach the rest of Tanzania. We're privileged to be a part of what Highpoint is doing in, in, in our lives like and I've our never ministry. Had before. God's kingdom is advancing, and it's exciting. You know, I feel like I have the best job in the world. You know, being on the front lines and watching God's possible because God is good. If you believe this to be true, get ready because I'm gonna give you a chance to respond. We're gonna go a little old school, follow the instructions on the screen as to what to say. When I, the preacher, say my part, then you, the congregation, say yours. Are you ready? The old school preacher used to say, God is good. And the congregation responds, all the time. And then the preacher would say, all the time. Congregation responds, God is good. Well, I think that was pretty good only because without God, you're no good. But seriously, let me ask you this. How good is God? Because that's the question our last two verses answer. Notice the beginning of verse 12. It says, so good, that God is so good that the Lord gives what is good. It literally means that God is extremely generous when it comes to goodness. He wants to give it to you. He wants to give you good things. And so good. Notice the end of verse 12. It says that it will, our land will yield its increase. Literally, it means this. It means that God will multiply the goodness in your life, not just for you, so that you can produce a field of goodness for others to feed on. And it doesn't stop there as we continue in verse 13. How good? That righteousness will go before him, it says, and make his footsteps away, meaning that God not only wants to multiply the goodness in our lives, but God wants to lead us and guide us in goodness as well. That's his heart desire. And that's what revival and revivalism accomplishes. It spreads like wildfire to those around. So let's slow down for a moment. And what have we learned today? Let's do a little review. I was really only trying to answer one question. Is revival possible today? That's it. Let me answer with some emojis on the screen. Answer, well, yes, it is. of course it is. Certainly it is. There's no question about it. Do you agree? Oh, I, of course you do, because all the reasons we've discussed, all the ones that we've seen, and these all come from Psalm 85. So the question isn't whether or not revival is possible, but rather, how does revival become possible in the church today? That's the catch, because it all starts with you. And then and only then can it spread like wildfire to our families, to our churches, to our communities, and to our world. So what I've been doing in this message, don't miss it. Whether you realize it or not, I've been simply doing this. I've been rubbing two sticks together, trying to get a spark. God's word and the testimonies of people who are following God's word, those are the two sticks. And I'm trying to spark a fire in you that I hope will produce a flame for others. 
That's my objective. That's what I've been praying for for this message. Because the blaze is happening here at High Point. As you've heard, as God is at work all around us and across the globe. So let it catch fire in you today. And if it hasn't yet, I trust it will. Because the heat is being turned up all around us. And many have already caught the fire. And if that's you, remember, God is the accelerant. He's the one that's going to continue it. He's the one that's going to make it go. He wants you to fan the flame in other people. But if the flames haven't already started in you, I've got one more story to end on. It's about a couple who are missionaries in Africa. And it's truly amazing. They're going to tell you about it. So as you listen to how God has revived them and is using them to revive others, ask God to revive you too so that you can help revive those around you. You want to go deeper with people. And, you know, to really trust the Lord, to really use you to impact people with the gospel. So we went to the western part of Tanzania, and that was the year that the Rwanda genocide happened. That experience there is something I cannot absolve myself of. I was out with my national counterpart, and we were out preaching, and we were coming back, we decided to rest by the river. And we saw bodies floating down the river. It was a traumatic event for us. As we sat there and realized, this is a Christian, supposedly Christian country, and here this is happening. In Kilomosoko, where we live, there are about seven churches. In the last three years, we've been trying to challenge them that they need to look outside of their own denomination, outside of their own tribes, to the people around them. It's been exciting to see these churches realize that they have a calling. That is really what we want to see, is the Tanzanian church taking up the call to go out and reach unreached areas. In the central part of Tanzania, among the Rangi people, an unreached people group where there had been very little outreach, the person who's leading that ministry right now, who we've turned over, he's a Rangi himself, um, he was a Muslim, uh, came to Christ, went to seminary, he's back, and now he's leading the ministry there, the church is, is, is flourishing. What a joy to see that, in a sense, handoff happen. One of the exciting partners that we're working with is a young couple. A couple years ago, we'd started doing some outreach to a village called Ruhatwe. And since they have been in Ruhatwe, they have been on fire for the Lord. This church is growing in leaps and bounds from no known believers to 10 being baptized. There's a waiting list of more people who want to be baptized. And so our burden, our passion, is to see the gospel go forth and reach the rest of Tanzania. We're privileged to be a part of what High Point is doing and in, in our lives and our ministry, God's kingdom is advancing and it's exciting. You know, I feel like I have the best job in the world. You know, be on the front lines and watching God move.